0: Welcome to Surfing the Psychic Waves. I'm your host, Christina Walsh. I'm excited to say hello to the globe. In this show, we hope to bring you new ideas to your spiritual path by letting you hear how other folks have walked their path or how they awakened. We'll be talking to surfers, psychics, and metaphysicians about meditation, healing, spirit guides, and other ascension tools you can use to catch your next wave. So if you're surfing the winds on Venus or jumping the rings on Saturn or riding a solar flare right now, today, we'll sort it all out planet earth the solar system and every being in it is waking up in some way or ascending on their spiritual path we've been experiencing extraterrestrial light shows and it's hard to continue to hold on to isolation or separation within ourselves the more we notice these extraplanetary activities so we want to notice the changes in energy and let you feel these activities of earth and beyond sky And there are other waves now that are getting bigger. So let's get this money thing out of the way because the twin flame or concept of reconnecting to another of ourselves is coming in. And I'm hearing still more and more stories of these types of twin flames uniting. So let's ride the waves of our new ascension, psychic, or spiritual spaces together and share our stories. My special guest star surfer today is astrologer Mark Lerner. We're going to get the astrological band back together in this galactic discussion about 2013 and what's brewing out there in the universe. Is it astronomy or astrology or both waves that we are surfing right now? So we're going to find out. Mark Lerner... Most of you already know from coast to coast and his interviews with George Nuri. But he is a practicing astrologer for over 40 years. He's a graduate from Michigan State with high honors and a BA in social science. In 1972, he completed his first one year intensive training course in professional astrology and began his career. Hearing how they summoned other dimensions to grow thriving gardens in barren soils of northern Scotland, Mark joined the Finhorn community in 1976. He eventually settled back into the U.S in 1980 and eventually started to publish welcome to planet earth it was a journal that reached thousands of astrological students and professionals around the world and became a well-respected top periodical concerning mundane astrology and mundane astrology is focusing on the higher destiny of nations humanity and spaceship earth The first Welcome to Planet Earth astrological website was launched in the mid-1990s, and the new EarthAquariusNews.com website explains astrological details by merging astrological wisdom with late-breaking reporting in an online newspaper format. You can find out more about Mark Lerner at EarthAquariusNews.com, at MarkLernerAstrology.com, or if you're surfing around Yahoo, you can look up Yahoo's Shine and search for Cosmic Calendar, and Mark Lerner's Cosmic Calendar for the day will pop up. So let's jump right in. So welcome, Mark.
1: Thank you very much, Christina. It's great to be here.
0: So I I hope you
2: brought all your boards, because... I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that you need to tell us about 2013. And I guess one of them happened on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day mm-hmm. with Pluto and the Sun.
1: Yeah. What I recommend to anybody out there who gets into astrology, I mean, someday people could contact me and I can give them a bunch of great astrologers who I studied when I learned over 40 years. But the, the so-called Bible of astrology is what's called an ephemeris which has every day where the sun is, where the moon is, where Mercury, all the planets, day by day. So it's, it's kind of a mathematical dating system, and you can clearly see, just open up the book, and a lot of these are 50-year, what are called 50-year ephemerides, or 100 years, and they're actually used by astronomers, too. I mean, there's sort of an astronomical-oriented uh, sky positions of planets, and they use more of what's called right ascension, whereas we're using the ecliptic or the apparent sun's arc as, as it seems to go around us, even though we're really going around the sun. And that, that's what we call the zodiac, and we divide it up into 12 equal sections, starting with the first day of spring. Now, the oddity of what you bring up is, and, and this is something I've been writing about in different places, including my website, is um, I, like, I love to find things that are really unusual that are very rare. My main field would be called mundane astrology, which is – it's not that I don't do personal readings and professional and business and marriage and all these other things, and I love to do that, kids' charts, whatever it may be. But I love to look at presidents and the founding of countries and even the birth of civilizations and long-term cycles of the outer planets and things like that. Well, it turns out that Pluto, which – was demoted by the astronomers uh back I think it was 2004 2006 yeah. they made it a dwarf planet. <laughs> well they they said it was a, <laughs> I was
2: very offended. That
1: was terrible. They they, yeah. they they made it a dwarf but the actual good thing was they they brought Ceres the largest asteroid that had been discovered in 1801. They made they they up that from being a sort of, so to speak, lowly asteroid, which is considered really star like instead of like a full planet. That's where we get the name asteroid. So, Ceres, they upped and made that also a dwarf planet. So, the thing is, uh, Pluto came down a little bit, Ceres went up a little bit. And Ceres is located between Mars and Jupiter. I don't know how many of your folks out there, but th- most people have seen uh, posters, uh, if they're not into full fledged astronomy, of, of how the sun where the Sun is in the center of the solar system, then we go Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, all the way out to Pluto. Well, Pluto goes from our vantage point very slowly and takes 247 years to orbit the Sun. Now, it turns out that New Year's, okay, when the Sun is in Capricorn, January 1, anywhere around the planet, the Sun is always at the same place in the sky, which is about one-third of the way through Capricorn, the sign Capricorn. So every time people around the world... Are greeting in a new year. Billions, seven, what, we're now seven billion people, and most people have some kind of celebration or awareness. So they don't have to be into astrology or anything, but whoever accepts the modern calendar, most people still recognize this kind of what we call civil new year, okay, in our yeah. modern world. So on, as we go from December 31 to January 1, normally the sun is by itself in Capricorn. And the only other thing that would be close to it might be the moon, if we were having a new moon, the planet Mercury or Venus, which we call inner planets because they're between us on Earth and the sun as we look toward the center of the solar system. They're what we call inner planets. They're orbiting between us and the sun. We might have in certain New Year's times, maybe the sun would be conjunct Mercury and they would be together, okay, for the start of a new year. Every so often there might be the sun with Venus, most of the time, if we are going to have something, we'd have the sun with the moon, and the moon is our closest neighbor. But every 247 years, at New Year's, we get the sun not alone, not with the moon or Mercury-Venus, or which would be the norm, but with Pluto, which is normally 3 billion miles away and very far from that particular point in the zodiac. So this year, it was December 30th that just passed that the Sun and Pluto were together. Guess what happens on New Year's Day of 2014? We hit, it, we hit the nail right on the head. And that will be the most exact beginning of a new year when the Sun is not alone, but it's with Pluto. And Pluto, just to remind everybody, is the mythological planet of the underworld. Hades, the god of that drags uh, Persephone down into the underworld of Greek mythology and it represents mysteries and secrets and darkness and the unknown. And Pluto does have some positive characteristics, like we might connect it to lasers now and a concentrated beam of light, say in medicine and industry that can work wonders, peaceful uses of atomic energy, for instance, people who are hypnotists, people who study psychology and psychiatry, people who work to sort of bring out transformation and catharsis in people so that they rid themselves of, it could be, if you accept the idea of reincarnation, which I do, past life, past life blocks or old karma or phobias and not knowing why, you know, something is, is, is at work in a person that prevents them from living a more fulfilling life. So the good part of what we just have uh, for this year is, first of all, as a close call, I mean, when the new year just started on January 1, the sun and Pluto were within about one and a half degrees of one another or they're pretty close. So, people can either go in the direction of "Oh my gosh, you know, the world is ending." You know, emotionally, I feel lost, or I feel like I'm being pulled down into the abyss, and there's a lot of darkness. Or they take the positive angle and say, "I can transform my life and my be more cathartic and do some kind of major metamorphosis." That would be the positive energy, like like uh, 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 tadpole into frog. Uh, Caterpillar Mm -hmm. into Butterfly, just as we would see in nature. Well, this year, as as people were asking the question, what will the new year bring? So that's why I'm talking about it and why I write about it. New Year's is a very unusual kind of holiday in that um, it kind of moves through. It's like a wave that goes around the whole planet. I mean, connecting up to to your show about Mm -hmm. the psychic wave (laughs) <laughs> For instance Christmas, if you take Christmas or you take uh any kind of holiday um, uh July fourth in america thanksgiving uh flag day uh Easter and so on um president 's day these are all they're all happening all day long okay there's it's twenty four hour time period that's not what is happening at new year's new year's is one moment of time in each of the twenty four time zones, and so what happens is there is a kind of wave – I had my phone on early because being in the Pacific Time Zone, they're saying, okay, well, the, Japan has already ushered in, and New Zealand has already ushered in, and this is what they've done, and so on. And then you start hearing reports about what's happening in China and then India, and it's this wave that goes around the whole planet. And what, the last point on this, and we go on from here, is what's really fascinating is at the exact moment of New Year's, the sun – Is at the bottom of the earth, so to speak, because it's midnight. Okay, it's midnight everywhere when it happens. So the sun is below and Pluto is below. So this sun-Pluto conjunction, which can either be awesome in terms of tapping into, say, spiritual willpower or bring people sort of dragged down into the underworld where they don't want to be, that's at – would be at, say, the bottom of a horoscope if you were drawing that up. The sun and blue would be down below in what we call the fourth house of home and roots and foundations or the inner life. And Libra is rising everywhere in the world. The sign Libra, which represents peace and love and harmony and trying to improve one's relationships to other people and to society, at the exact moment of midnight everywhere around the world as the wave is sort of moving around the planet from kind of east to west, when people are making their New Year's resolutions, Libra is on the horizon in their locality. So it's it's a really fascinating holy day or or type of uh event that is not it should not really be uh, part of the holiday list. It should be sort of singled out and people should look at that and say, Okay, what are the dynamics, you know, on the first? Because there's really no other day that I can think of where everyone on Earth, like all of humanity, are all kind of asking the same question, you know, to the universe and saying, what's going to happen? And and then you get an answer there from the universe.
2: I wonder if someone who was working on the Gregorian calendar might have had that idea. Yeah. You know, I haven't looked at it from a New Year's Day, New Year's Eve perspective.
1: Well, even if you go back, you know, I'm not an expert in all these things. But I do periodically go back and review where these calendars came from, for instance, Julian, the Julian calendar, yeah. going back to Julius Caesar. The, the whole thing with the Gregorian calendar was days began to be missing, and the reason was is that, even though they were pretty accurate, 2000 plus years ago about what they thought a year was like 365 and a quarter days there was this whole leap year kind of deal <laughs> and, yeah. and like an extra kind of quarter and it would start adding up and after a while what happened it was like in the 1500 somewhere and the, it was pope gregory finally this was all creating a, a mess you know with with when should there be easter cuz easter was a floating holiday for instance <laughs> Hey. Uh, as opposed to Christmas, and everything was getting very difficult in calculations, including things that were astrological. And then, with the advent of the telescope, eventually, and things like that. And then, actually, it took a couple hundred years for all these different countries. Some countries didn't go over to it. Uh, the Soviet Union, Russia, didn't go into the, use the Gregorian calendar for quite a while until even might have been the early part of the 20th century. And and other countries didn't automatically start doing it. So it started, I believe, with Italy, and then maybe Spain, Portugal, and so on. There was a whole flow of which uh, people would start using the you know the, the calendar. It was almost like they were afraid. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Julian calendar had been in existence for like sixteen hundred and fifty years, or you know, even sixteen hundred years. Look, they could have the...
2: just been somebody making it up, but yeah. somebody had a look at something. I mean, when was Pluto discovered?
1: Okay, Pluto was discovered. Back in, on February 18th of 1930, it's the one of, of the three outer planets, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, that was discovered in the United States by Clyde Tombow. Uh, he was a very young fellow. In fact, his nickname was Comet Clyde. And they just sent some of his – oh, I know what they did. You know, There's a spacecraft that's going to Pluto. Uh, From NASA, it was launched in nineteen nine. It was launched in two thousand five, and it's going to get there in two thousand fifteen. It's taking ten years, and some of his ashes. He's the guy who discovered it in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, in nineteen thirty, and then they put some of his ashes on board the spacecraft, and it's going to fly by Pluto. Wow! And uh, we already brought up Ceres about being uh, also a dwarf planet. And what's amazing is I was doing some work on, there's a DAWN, D-A-W-N spacecraft from NASA that went to the asteroid Vesta, and I wrote a whole series of articles. This happened in in the last two years. We had never gone to an asteroid before, and Vesta has a lot to do with the whole investment community, among other meanings that it has, like safety and security, home and hearth, and insurance companies and, and coverage and rates, but it... But, but it also has a lot to do with the investment community and there's a whole weird thing in the in the history of NASA where we send up spacecraft the 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 symbolism of the planet when the spacecraft gets there represents um it, it's kind of like a psychic or almost a dream like uh, uh event for instance we when we sent one of the voyager miss- missions out there and it arrived at uranus was I'm going to go back here to 1986 when the Challenger exploded. So the me, the astrological meaning of the of the planet as we're sending our technology there were coinciding, which was extraordinary. And then when that same Voyager 2 reached Neptune, which is a planet that in, in political astrology rules communism and socialism, that that spacecraft got there in the summer and fall of 1989, and that's when The Romanian uh, communist leader, Sertescu, was toppled, and the Berlin Wall fell, and that was the beginning of the end of communism. And now we're going to have a spacecraft visit Pluto, but uh, the one that went to uh, Vesta is shifting now and going to Ceres, and it will get to Ceres, the largest asteroid in the asteroid belt, also in 2015. And one of the big things that this brings up, and it's interesting because, again, we we touched on this idea of uh, the wave of New Year, and you know your logo, um, which which is the ocean. Well, the big theme I believe that's going to be important in a few years is water. Um, Water to that's helpful for people. The whole global warming situation, which is creating, could create devastating conditions on coastlines around the world. Because of the melting of the ice caps, and we have too much water, okay? When you start melting all these ice caps, the water has to go somewhere. And yeah. the whole process of rainfall and, and um, um, is very clear. I mean, it's not just Al Gore's thing. You know, it's So many scientists now understand what's going on here. But I believe since we're now at the dawn of 2013, two-plus years from now as these two spacecraft reach Ceres and Pluto – one in the asteroid belt, the other one 3 billion miles away at the edge of the solar system. Um, the scientists are actually looking at both of these, and this is the irony, how science matches up with metaphysics here. The scientists are looking for water. They're looking for ice and they're looking for water, which means potential signs of life in at Ceres and at Pluto.
2: It's just amazing. Yeah. Series is known for for what?
1: Okay, mothering, mother nature, nurturing. It rules in astrology things like productivity and agriculture and gardening. It has a lot to do with food, diet yeah. and nutrition. It rules mother, uh, parent-child and particularly mother-daughter relationships. So,
2: and then is Pallas the father? Uh, Pallas
1: was in mythology was born full-armored from her father, Zeus or Jupiter, depending on whether it was Greek or Roman mythology, and, and she's kind of a, a, a partly an artsy crafter of, 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 of strategy for warfare. She was kind of the only female that the, me, the men of the ancient time would, would just w- wait for her ideas because she was just brilliant, so she kind of represented the knowledge and wisdom Kind of the muse coming out of the great head of Jupiter, his feminine mm. side, sort of on a higher mental level, if you were to look at it that way.
2: Yeah. So the asteroids we have are Chiron, Ceres, Pallas, Vesta, and Juno.
1: Well, there's Juno and, and um, Juno, Vesta, Pallas, and Ceres, and Chiron is actually what is called...
2: Did it get upgraded?
1: Well, well actually, Chiron <laughs> is interesting in that matter because it's more almost like a comet. And there are these um, centaur – since Chiron was a centaur, half-human, half-horse of mythology, there are actually other bodies, like one is called Pholos. They have unusual names, Heracles. um, There's a couple of other ones, uh, Damocles. They're all all connected back to the ancient Greek times, and it's just fascinating how the names often represent – a truism about like whatever the stories, mythological stories were of those particular beings. Then if you study where those asteroids are moving, like in your birth chart or somebody's horoscope or their progress chart, the events of their life will often connect up to the mythological stories. It's just ridiculously I- exact.
2: Yeah. It's so amazing.
1: Yeah. It's the whole, there's well, there's
2: just, yeah. it's just
1: incredible when you look at it with the eyes of kind of, more like a shaman and a magician would look at things because what I always work with in astrology is things are both real and they're symbolic simultaneously. Yeah, it's kind of like Eastern and Western all all combined. So I yeah. believe very much in in we live in a universe of time. We're part of the mortal universe with our physical bodies. There is you know the clock, the chronological universe. Like we we had to set this yeah. meeting up. We couldn't just do it <laughs> – I mean, maybe in the future we could just sort of tune in, oh, my God, we're starting the session. <laughs> and say, on this day, at this time, let's do this thing. But then there's synchronicity, which would be more of the Eastern technique of things just sort of falling in together simultaneously.
2: So, okay, speaking of falling in together, so the sun's uniting with Pluto – in 2013, and then it does it again in 2014, almost around the same time, more, like within the same 24 uh, hours-ish.
1: Here's the thing, we, we, we know that there are many other cycles. For instance, right now there's a series of seven cycles where the, the Uranian planet and Pluto are at odds through what's called a square of 90 degrees, and we already had two of those this year, and there's going to be five more, seven in total before we get to March of 2015, they're affecting everybody and they're affecting the, the next several years. We have those kind of things happening. We have other planets that are affecting each national chart. America has a chart. Canada has a chart. New Zealand has a chart. England has a chart. You know, Every country really has a birth chart. And of course, the leaders of those countries have charts too. And the stock markets of those countries have charts you go down the list of all the different charts, within charts, within charts, you see. What I, the, I'm i not saying that the sun and Pluto in this configuration very rarely every 247 years is the be-all and end-all of all things. It's just that it is very different. And what is interesting is whether we like it or not, every, most human beings on the face of the earth are involved with this. Because who doesn't around New Year's, even just quietly, if not verbally, if not – Through some some piece of paper, write down or think through. um, Here's what I hope will happen for myself and my loved ones and my family, or for America or the the Earth itself or humanity over the next 12 months. That's when we have that thought. We don't have it necessarily on November 3rd or (laughs) 18th. You know, everybody is doing this thing at the New Year, and it's so.
2: Would you also look back two hundred and fifty years, so like seventeen sixty
1: six, yeah, or so, yeah, yeah,
2: right before the American Revolution? I think lots of stuff was going on in France already, revolutionary wise. Didn't happen till later, I guess. The
1: problem was they didn't have your show. They they (laughs) weren't.
2: No, I'd have to like write it on a scroll. Yeah,
1: (laughs) they were. That would have been like they would have written the name Christina Walsh on some sort of like. Shell in the ocean if somebody got it a you know another continent yeah. away they would know that it was New Year's and the sun and Pluto were together by that point it it would have already been six months later
2: <laughs> exactly they would have missed it and they didn't even know about Pluto yet
1: no they didn't
2: so two hundred and fifty years ago like what what was Pluto alighting to the surface I guess that's what I sort of think that Pluto has all these deep dark thoughts yeah. Not necessarily bad thoughts, but it's just, it just seems to me like there's a lot going on. A very deep sort of person, if Pluto was a, pa- a planet. And then you have the sun who's like illuminating everything, can't help himself or herself. So then, you know, what happens when these two meet?
1: Well, I like, I'm glad you brought it up that way. A good thing for the listeners to imagine is. In, al- in alignment with what you're saying, the Sun is enormous in size. First of all, Pluto is just very, very small, okay? It's, it's one of, that's why it was, it was demoted to being a dwarf planet. It's much, much, much smaller than Jupiter, the largest planet, or Saturn, the second largest, or Uranus or Neptune, which are pretty big in size. And Pluto is smaller than our Earth, for instance. There are moons of Saturn and Jupiter that are much bigger than Pluto, there are even moons of Jupiter that are bigger than the planet Mercury, which which is another whole <laughs> – so Yeah. maybe Mercury should be demoted also. But the sun can contain everything, Christina. You could put all the planets, easily, all the planets of the solar system, including Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, all the big ones, and you're still not going to get anywhere near the size of the sun. So the sun is enormous, and it's the only radiant – energy, light-giving, love-bearing, radiatory uh, energy field of the whole solar system. And Pluto should be seen as kind of the outermost boundary. But here's the interesting point. If we were going to get contacted by galactic beings, because we're the, our whole sol- solar system is orbiting 26,000 light years from the center of the Milky Way galaxy. So we're often one of these arms, these spiral arms of our galaxy, which has billions of stars. So the, re- the way I want to look at it is to give Pluto its due. Okay? W- w- it's kind of like for visitors coming from the, from, from far away, right? Whoever those yeah. visitors are, we put the scary Plutonic figure out there, kind of like a – you know what I mean? If you wanted to ward <laughs> people away from your house or something, right? Or yeah. Halloween, like for a trick. So you put the scary dude out there. Oh, boy, we better not mess with this solar system. We gotta deal with Pluto. you see, so you know all these you know he had a there was a three headed dog uh I'm gonna mispronounce this um uh, there's there's a company that has this name. It was just like Seberius or something seberus it was a Oh,
2: uh, yeah popped, thats right.
1: okay, and that was one of the scary creatures that Pluto had. It's like you don't go into the underworld and just see so you know uh. Uh, Dorian Fincher or you know, I don't know, a, some a bulldog. You got a three-headed right. dog. Oh, great! This is going to be fun to go into the underworld. You know, if every every creature down there has three heads, this isn't going to be very easy living down there. But but I'm just saying, all these mythologies about Pluto, from our vantage point, it's because we need we are creatures of light. We need without light and the and the warmth, which is love of you know of that light we 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 can't survive we're we're really light creatures okay we just we don't realize it all that much and but we know like we have seasonal deficit disorder now you know if if you're not getting enough sun that's going to be a real yeah. problem now of course people get too much sun but pluto is just extremely dark okay but it scares away beings that might not should not be venturing too close to our life force
2: i really like that yeah so it's the broken-down pickup truck in front of the, this beautiful landscape, right? and then there's like the giant mansion in the back right. with the right. tennis courts and the pools. Got it.
1: Yeah, and, and it, it really is important. And through, through Dane Rudyard, who was one of my great mentors, one of the great astrologers of 20th century, um, he was the kind of person with a number of his books, but one in particular where he would do this kind of thing. I love these exercises because that, that was in the beginning about 40 years ago. I got into astrology and he would say, look, you, you can't just look from the sun outward to Mercury, Venus, Earth, uh, Mars, the asteroids and see the, evo- you know, the evolution and unfolding of how the planets are moving outward. That's the classic poster that you can get when you go to the mu- a museum of yeah. natural history or something and, and get your astronomy book. Oh, here's the sun and then Pluto is far away. But if you're thinking as a galactic energy source or being or life force, to get even to our neck of the woods, you got to go twenty six thousand light years, and fi- figure out where, which which solar system we are and what arm of the of the galaxy, and then then once you finally get here, like you said, the truck or whatever it is, three headed <laughs> three head
2: three headed dog.
1: Yeah, it's like after this whole journey. Imagine how exhausted you are. You started. It's like, oh my god, why did I travel all this way? This was a, this was a gigantic mistake, but if they can get through Pluto and then Neptune and Uranus and Saturn and Jupiter in the reverse order, eventually they they have a what should be a, a beautiful planet as long as we don't destroy it.
2: Wow! Yeah, that's a great perspective. Yeah. Like, what really are we showing galactic beings anyway?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, I like that. Yeah,
1: and part of part of this idea. Do you remember when? The comet um, uh, slammed into Jupiter about – it was, I think, 1995. Yeah. Um, I f- everybody's eyes were on it because they said, this comet is going to break up, and the scientists were looking at it. I don't remember exactly. It had two names to it. It wasn't Hale-Bopp. It was a different one, and it, for some reason, I'm not remembering it at the moment. But what we le- what what that started was making people aware of what Jupiter's f- function is in the solar the middle of the solar system, has an enormous magnetic field. And guess what? It spins in like less than 10 hours. We, t- we have 24 hours in our day. The Jupiter day is less than 10 hours. This is the largest planet, and it's spinning like two and a half times faster than we are. I mean, th- that's just like an incredible thing. Now, it's not as solid as the Earth, and we don't know exactly every- how Jupiter is made up. I mean, there's a lot of
2: yeah. clouds
1: and helium and some hydrogen and different kinds of other elements swirling. And
2: somebody was running around saying it was full of diamonds.
1: <laughs> I think I heard about that not so far. Yeah. But, but the thing is, and there's actually, speaking of radio and, and what we're doing here, there is radio. You know, there, There's a lot of radio waves that are coming out of the planets anyway. It's just part of the electromagnetic spectrum. But um, I've read a couple of articles on this, and you can. there's some place on the web where you could actually turn on this channel, and you're listening to Jupiter.
2: <laughs> wow. I've only listened to solar flares so far. Really?
1: That looks yeah. exciting, though. I, it's
2: kind of just like shh,
1: shh, But just the <laughs> fact that you're actually listening to it.
2: Well, these solar flares are really bugging me, but now I'm going to go bug Jupiter. <laughs> so it must have been like on um, NASA. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. I, I've heard it, and I guess if a person went into Google and they just went and say uh, Jupiter Radio, mm-hmm. uh, that's enough, and then something will come up, and then something with NASA will have an article about this kind of thing. I, I wrote an article about what I read on this subject a couple of years ago, but I, I just don't remember exactly what was happening, but I did listen to the sounds, and it was pretty fascinating.
2: Oh, it's radiosky.com.
1: Is that what it is? I think so. Yeah. Well, some, someday maybe you'll be um, – would it be a promotion if you get the on yeah. Jupiter? Or would that
2: would <laughs> that be like we don't
1: want you on Earth anymore? How would you look
2: – <laughs> Yeah, I don't know.
1: Maybe both. Maybe you could make a deal. It, it's like maybe. the Persephone thing, half time on Jupiter, half time on Earth.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Maybe I should start licensing the Jupiter radio
1: waves. Yeah, you see, I mean, why not? Be the first.
2: I'll be the first. the second. That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, yeah so I'm going to listen to Jupiter now. But I I do like the fact that there's you get the astronomy, oh. you get the astrology, yeah. and then you throw in a couple of Greek gods, Roman gods, whatever. <laughs> and then, you know, the Catholics got in there and worked their calendar around right. or who, you know, whatever other groups got involved and it's like the whole world has been trying for years to figure out what is going on around us and at least astrology gives us a really really good snapshot and speaking of jupiter you were going to mention about later this month in january
1: oh yeah well jupiter has been moving retrograde since early october of 2012 all the planets you know most people know about mercury going retrograde for three weeks at a time and start getting afraid and I won't sign this to that, and Mercury retrograde is not a bad thing. Anyway, all the planets do go retrograde at some point. The Sun and Moon don't, but the other planets do. And Jupiter goes retrograde three to four months out of every calendar year, and it'll move direct or shift around from being in reverse to going forward on January 30th. So we can all look forward to that in about um, three weeks. But that will happen on January 30th, and that lasts until I think it's November 6th of Jupiter going forward. And Jupiter does have many interesting meanings in astrology, including the power of positive thinking, providence, good luck, good fortune. Um, So um, how we sort of create our professional life, um, how we are successful in big business, and so when Jupiter's going forward, is is generally better to be active with large-scale enterprises and making things happen in a big way.
2: Okay. I like that.
1: But right now, um, if somebody had a choice, and I'd have to look at the exact horoscope of, for instance, I have somebody who wants to incorporate a business and we already decided don't do it while Jupiter's retrograding. It would be better to wait till after because Jupiter is the planet of bigness. And people don't just incorporate businesses every day of the week. I mean, it's often a once-in-a-lifetime thing or frequent. Yeah. And so um, I'm not saying that Jupiter retrograde, all the people who've created incorporations in the last three or four months are doomed to failure. But there is something about a planet moving forward versus it moving retrograde relative to the earth's perspective. Let me just be clear though, no planet actually ever goes backwards in and of itself, at least normally. Although Venus is kind of a has some strange aberrations to it, but mo- the planets are m- all moving in the same direction from the heliocentric sun viewpoint. It's just that we're 93 million miles away and um it's kind of like if you've ever been on an, in a train station, this is the kind of if you think it through, Let's say you're on a train and you pull out from the station. there's a train right next to your train. They haven't pulled out yet. Then they start pulling out. You look through your window on your train and you see them starting to pull out. it looks like they're going backwards. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah. you, you look at that and you, real, you know they're, you realize they were going in the same direction you are. You're going faster than they're going. It makes it look like they're going in the other direction, and it's just a weird kind of thing, but that's 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 what the retrograding kind of thing is all about.
2: Yeah. So you'd kind of want to start a business where you didn't have that weird woozy feeling of, yeah. you know, am I going for it? Are they yeah. going backwards? Yeah. You know, I
1: don't know. Now, many people are born with Mercury retrograde or a whole slew of planets in, in reverse and can be very successful if it's in a person's birth chart, but... The thing is, there are usually mechanisms at work, unusual facets of their behavior, and they may seem a little bit odd when you get to know them, if they have Mercury retrograde or Venus or Mars or whatever. But um, a retrograding planet usually means go inward, be more introspective with the archetypes of that celestial body. It doesn't mean failure. It doesn't mean problems. America was born. Uh, with Mercury retrograde. In fact, we have a retrograding Mercury and a retrograding Pluto opposite each other. It's one of the strongest and more difficult alignments from July 4th of 1776. So we have the first planet from the Sun, Mercury, opposite Pluto, again three billion miles away, and they're both retrograde.
2: And so America is the Sun sign that would still be Cancer.
1: Yes, and and another thing, this is an adjunct to this Pluto Sun deal that the world is experiencing at New Year's, you know, for 2013, and even stronger when we start 2014. But in America's chart, we're now about to have Pluto oppose our Cancer Sun sign because Pluto's in Capricorn, and we've never had this before in in our 200 and what is it now? Um, I'm gonna
2: oh. 200
1: plus year history. Pluto has never opposed the sun because when the country came into being there had been an opposition of the Sun and Pluto, but that happened like uh Right before. Yeah, like in two, like
2: seventeen sixty six or something.
1: Yeah. Um, right. It had happened before that the country came into being. So we're gonna have this five times in two thousand fourteen and two thousand fifteen and that's where part of this whole thing of the debt ceiling and the trillions of dollars and all the congress not not knowing what the heck they're doing the federal reserve all the split in the country and all this these devastating emotions like no matter what we do you know things are going to get more difficult we're playing with kind of monopoly money with the federal reserve you know people kind of realize that mm-hmm. the banking system is you know on a knife's edge
2: I know it sounds pretty dire, but then you have the Uranus alignments too, right? So yeah. that should be inspirational the, of some kind, in fact, maybe a little volatile. but
1: We're getting seven of these Uranus squares to Pluto, and there were five that were similar back at the time of the Great Depression in the early 1930s or when we were trying to come out of that Great Depression after the stock market crash. What's interesting is the planet Uranus has come back to exactly where it was back in the 1930s, but Pluto is now in the opposite point of its cycle. So one of the planets, Uranus, is exactly like what you're saying. It's kind of – do you remember how we had the New Deal? Yeah. Okay, under Roosevelt. Now it was revolutionary. A lot of conservatives didn't like it, but the country had fallen into a black hole. We needed to pick ourselves up. And so the government created all these amazing programs like the CCC – uh, yeah. NRA, all these other kind of things to get people back to work. And a lot of people were f- sort of feeling maybe Obama, President Obama, was going to be that guy, you know, but he really isn't. Even though they've tried to say, oh, he's a New Dealer and communist and this and that, you know, he's, he's much more of a centrist in many ways. But, of course, he does feel for the people who are at the lower end of the spectrum or in the middle of the spectrum and not at the top. So there are a lot of comparisons of the cycles of Uranus-Pluto now to where things were right after the great stock market crash of 1929 and how we needed an FDR to create a new deal. And then there was the dark side of that with Hitler and Mussolini and Mao and Stalin in the 1930s. The parallels are amazing. They really are. And there is a lot of dictatorial energy around now too, like the Federal Reserve. And a lot of people feel the Federal Reserve is is a totalitarian kind of – uh, force. They're not even a bank. It's a private institution. And then yeah. the European Central Bank and um, people feel... So, yeah.
2: Do, do we go off the gold standard then?
1: Well, we, Back then? Yeah, well, Roosevelt created... It, it's very kind of complex, but it wasn't all, all him, but he had advisors who had him uh, create an executive order, you know, because we were, were on the gold standard. And what happened was is that People actually needed to turn over gold. Uh, yeah. The Federal Reserve had to eventually turn over gold to the Treasury, and then they they devalued the dollar. This took a whole year or so. It was started in 1933 uh, right after uh, FDO was inaugurated, but it took until 1934, and there was something called the Gold Reserve Act. And so we went off the gold standard. And yet the, the government then had all this gold and the dollars that people got in exchange for giving up their gold were, were devalued. So the government wound up like with this hefty deal so that they could pay for the new deal. And then it was it was only in the Nixon administration in 1971 that relative to the whole world that, the, that gold floated because it was fixed actually from 1934 at $35 per ounce um, from 1934 to 1971 and then gold started floating and uh, now we have, you know, think about that yeah. $35 an ounce um, between 1934 to 1971 and now it's at 1700 1600 where yeah. a lot of people feel it's just going to go higher and higher and higher eventually. Wow. And that's and, and gold is actually low because with it, with you know deflated or in, actually inflated dollars, it should really be somewhere at twenty seven hundred or twenty eight hundred. They've calculated, so it, it it could go up another thousand dollars, which might seem to us like unbelievable, and it still wouldn't actually represent its 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 accurate value of what a dollar buys in the world. So gold needs to actually go up quite a bit at some point, just from a logical standpoint of relative to paper money versus uh, uh, metal currency.
2: Yeah, so would you look at Vesta back to that, or does gold relate to some other planet?
1: Well, uh, you know, gold, that's that's sort of gets into things like there are gold markets of when they open you like a stock market. Yeah. Then there are specific gold markets. I have some of my own sort of understanding, which I'm not going to mention at the moment, but you know, I sort of. own
2: people can find this stuff out at Earth Aquarius News, right?
1: Oh, uh, they should be able to find a lot. I have a lot of articles at Earth Aquarius News. That's dot com dot com. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there on gold and silver and business and Pluto and Sun and everything else.
2: All right. Yeah, I don't. I want. I don't want to keep talking about the nesting of charts and charts and charts and charts. Right. <laughs> For a gold standard, when I'm just trying to make it to the end of January. <laughs> yeah. I just want to experience what that Jupiter thing is yeah. and really be conscious about it.
1: Well, you, this is part of the magic of real astrology, which is aside from the Sun and Pluto and you know the whole world focusing on New Year's. If people can work with, and I've done this as. You may be, you're you aware of the cosmic calendar. It, if we're aware of what's happening on specific days where a planet like Jupiter shifts from reverse to direct, if we meditate and tune in and work with that energy, it's, it's like, again, surfing the psych, psychic wave, like the name of your show. It's tapping into the psychic wave at the right time in order to then utilize that higher force of the planet for good rather than confusion or misunderstanding.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for Surfing the Psychic Ways. And next time we'll talk more about psychic stuff and astrology. But this was a fantastic introduction, and I'm sure lots of folks out there are going to start looking you up at Earth Aquarius News or on Yahoo's Shine. Um, If you Google uh, Cosmic Calendar, you'll find Mark Lerner. And just thank you so much, Mark, for being here with us.
1: Okay. Well, lots of love and blessings to you and everybody out there. Thanks. Bye for now.